We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Hello? Chris, it's Jonathan and Kitty in Madison. How's it going? Good, man. How are you? That's good. I just am finishing one sentence on my <laughs> janky old typewriter. Please go right ahead. We won't nope. interfere. I just did it. You just heard me do it. That's N- it. Nice. Uh, did you say that was on an actual typewriter? Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I bought this typewriter. I, I was like, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a lyricist. Yes, we've yes. heard that before, yes. <laughs> yeah. And um, and so, like, long ago I learned that, like, what you write on and with is really kind of, like, important um, in a silly kind of way. So I read this book about writing by a hero of mine, and she was like, you know, I always write. I go, like, and buy tons and tons of notebooks in, in like, the back-to-school season, and I get, like, this book was written a long time ago. She got, like, Snoopy you know, and Power Ranger notebooks. And she's like, when I open that up, I just feel like there's no pressure on me to write. And so you feel that way with the typewriter? Do you have a trapper keeper, I'm hoping? (laughs) What's a trapper keeper? Dude, come on. Really? He's my age. It came after us. Did it? Oh, trapper keeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, I've been, like, actually sort of farting around, like, with the whole, like, where am I going to put all this shit I'm typing? Mm Mm-hmm. Right now, it is in like just a pile. Like I have it, I have it in the yeah, I have it in the pile. But anyway, I went down. There's this great typewriter store in New York, and I went down there, and I was like, "Which is your like sweetest, you know, action? Like, which one is the easiest one to type on? Which one just types like butter?" And he pointed to this typewriter. It was like it looked like it was the first typewriter ever made. You know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the fuck? That can't be the, that can't be the one. And it was also the most expensive one in the store. Of course. Uh-huh. You know, typewriters are actually really popular. During the pandemic, like, people were buying typewriters. And um, so they're, like, you know, cool old ones are, like, four to 600 bucks. And this one was, like, 900 bucks. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool, whatever. And they had my dad. My dad's an automotive journalist. He writes about cars. He's actually the foremost authority on automobiles in the world. So growing up in the 70s, my dad had this old Olympus typewriter. And they had the same one, same color, you know, the same, like, cool, chunky brown keys. And I was like, let me try that one. And it was kind of a dog. You know, like, 
just the type on. I mean, it, you know, it looked okay, but it was kind of a dog. And I was like, what about this cool old Italian one that looks like a Bugatti? And, um, you know, I tried it. I was like, okay, let me try that. Let me try the one you, you suggested. And I started typing on it and it was like butter. And, um, I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> I'm just gonna buy this. I love that you're comparing it, it to a Bugatti. That is awesome. <laughs> what kind of mileage does it get? So, but your dad, I'm imagining, has moved forward slowly into computers. Is he making fun of you for using a typewriter, or he appreciates it? Well, like in my family, it's pretty much standard that I'm just a crazy kook, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> like I got the I got the sweet. My birthday is on Friday, and I got the sweetest like card from them about basically about what a kook I am <laughs> like what a delight it is to have like a does Hallmark have a section of cards for kooky relative yeah I I, I guess <laughs> if they do that's where they got this card you know? <laughs> but I don't I'm not using you know I didn't know what I was going to use this typewriter for what I've been doing is like um over over time throughout my life I'll like for a period of time, I will like wake up in the morning and just like free write for a certain amount of time. Um, like I'll journal, you know, and I'll just write whatever comes into my head. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's completely random, almost like garbledy goop. And sometimes I'm like, you know, journaling about like what's going on in my life. And sometimes it's sort of a mix of the two. And that's just what I've been doing. I've been like waking up. That's what I ended up doing. I didn't know if I was going to write lyrics on it. I didn't know if I was going to like write a novel on it. I kind of hoped I was going to write a novel on it. But like I, I just sort of have been waking up every morning and just like typing out the date and, a, and like a title, the first thing that pops into my head. And, and then I just start like free typing on it. That's what I was doing when, uh, when you guys I think, Chris, you should get a bunch of monkeys in the room and get them a bunch of typewriters <laughs> and then see if they end up writing the great American novel. I don't hey, know. It's just a thought. 900 bucks a pop. Are you kidding me? I can't afford it. <laughs> so, wait. Well, sorry. One more typewriter question, though, because I'm curious. Is it the typewriter where when you make a mistake, there's that backup key and you put in that other cartridge to erase the letter? Or what's it like? Dude, this thing was made in like 1919. Oh, okay. Oh. okay. All right. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't come up with that. Have you and talked that, to Tom Hanks yet? No, it, it's it's I, I can't believe how well it types. It's it, it it's a it's um an Underwood number five. Ooh, the number five, yeah. Apparently, it was like the typewriter. I mean, uh, Ernest Hemingway typed all of his. It was wow. like the it's the Ernest Hemingway typewriter. Wow. Okay. Uh, you know, Tom Hanks is like a typewriter freak. You should reach out to him. I know. I, I did. I heard that. I heard he collects typewriters. Well, you know, they're really great for writing letters to people, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it's in this day and age, you know, it's not quite as personal as like handwriting a letter. Yeah, but dude, it's way more than an email. I mean, come on. <laughs> It is exactly, still, but it's a thousand times more personal than than an email because you know the person ends up having, especially if you you know you sign it by hand, and the person ends up having this like very human artifact, right, in their, in their hands. You know, something that you have like, you know, I mean, this thing is this thing is like a typewriter is about you know it's like one step beyond like a Gutenberg printing press. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's just a one letter at a time printing. Right. Class. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, so I, I wonder if you're going to bring it to Funk's Pub. You know, you're coming here to Madison on the Febu- uh, on the 24th of this month 
for a, a cool event that we're doing here talking about songwriting. And do you want to, are you going to bring, lug the typewriter? Absolutely not. This thing is, I mean, I, I would just as soon bring an anchor or an anvil. An anvil would be, an anvil is like more comparable in like size and heft to this thing. It It's, I was like, what the hell is, you know, like, like at some point in like the world of design, people decided, oh, let's make things light and easy to carry and, um, and like ergonomic. This is a, this is a hundred years before anybody thought anything like that. This this is like let's build this thing like a it's the the casing on the outside of it. You know the 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 the, the like box if you will. Yeah. On the outside of it, it's like I'm pretty sure it's cast iron. Yeah. Well, and it lasts. I mean, and nothing th- is built to last anymore. I'm thinking if it fell out of the overhead bin, if it adjusted during you know it's moved around Shift during the during flight. flight. Yeah. <laughs> That would not be something that you'd want to fall on your head while you're waiting to uh, disembark the plane. Yeah, man, it's like a weapon. Honestly, like <laughs> if there's if there's like you know how things fall out of those bins, but they have to like come up over the edge of the bin. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if there's any upward movement in it getting out of the bin, there's no way it's happening. It's more likely that the whole bin is going to fall <laughs> because it's so heavy. All right. Well, Chris, let's. Uh, we're talking to Chris Barron. Uh, many of you may remember because in the early '90s we all bought a pocket full of kryptonite, and there was spin doctors. Chris has been doing so much more since then. You actually came to visit us here in Madison. Was that like 15 years ago or something, Kitty? I- Probably something along those lines. And at that point you had talked about how life had changed as far as when you guys were the spin doctors that you all got together as a band, not because you were friends, but because you were all good musicians who found each other. So some of the road would be bumpy, but then after that happened, you kind of matured and you guys learned how to get along a little better, but you've also gone on to do many, many other projects and one of them is you hooked up with a band, a Norwegian band. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I um I met these guys in Norway. I was doing like um um these songwriting camps um, where like I go as a lyricist, and um, um, they do this a lot. Uh, they do it. They do them in Nashville, and they do them in the United States. They they do a, a bit more of them overseas. And what happened was my friend Arna Havda, who um, I know from um, being on the Horde tour years ago when he was touring with his band, the Getaway People, that are still, you know, quite an item in Norway. Arna called me and was like, hey, come, come, to, come to Stavanger, which is the town he's from. It's the third largest city in Norway. So people listening might have heard of Oslo and they might have heard of Bergen. They probably haven't heard of Stavanger. Right. <laughs> it's the next one after, you know, Oslo and Berg. So, you know, I, I went and um, and I had just had a ball. And the guy who picked me up at the airport was this guy, Eric Rowe, this tall, rangy Viking of a dude. And um, not, not the big muscular type of Viking, but the gangly, super tall, gangly guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's that Viking. And, um, and so he and I, like, like uh ended up writing a song that day that was like the best song I'd written in a really long time. I was kind of in a hole too. Like I I was coming off of losing my voice a few years beforehand. So I'd been kind of like trying to I don't know, fit in a little bit more. I was afraid of losing my livelihood and so I was trying to like write, you know, pop songs for Faith Hill and stuff like that and hating it and and really doing a bad job. And about 3 weeks before I got this call from Arna 
I was like, you know what, Chris? You're this like you're just a kook, man. You're just this kooky, like poet guy, and um, and you write what you write, and you know that's it. Just just do what you do, and you know you're not going to starve to death. You're going to be okay. You know you wrote two princes when you were 19. You idiot. And um, <laughs> so the phone rings. Arna invites me to Norway, and I'm in this kind of creative vacuum in the moment. And Eric picks me up. And we sit down in a room and I just kind of hit it off with him right away. And like two hours after I land, we'd written this song called Matches to Ashes, which is the best thing I'd written in a really long time. And like there, there's moments, you know, in your in your life as, a, as like, a, you know, if, you, if you're doing something creative where you just like you, you come up with something, you make something and all of a sudden you're like, this is this is my way forward for the next for the foreseeable future. You know, this is what I should be doing. And uh, this tune was just, just it was like that. And we, we had a really good time. And then we met another guy on another trip. They kept inviting me back because I guess I did okay on that trip. And and they, we met another guy named Hans Petter Osrud, who's like <laughs> a huge. I know, is <laughs> I know Os, Osrud. It's a. It's an awesome name. It's a great name. Might be related to me. Who knows? <laughs> He's a big rock star over there. They're all rock stars over there. And we were like up at a cabin like fishing for trout and like taking the trout like still wiggling up to the cabin and like you know just eating them with salt and pepper and butter like corn on the cob and <laughs> drinking thousands of beers and tons of aquavit and just going back out in the canoe and catching more trout and we were just like how stupid would it be if we started a band and called it the canoes and we were like laughing and drinking we're like we can wear like jackets with crests on them and singing four-part harmony like aha and then we get back to we get back to like civilization and um and we're like oh we had an idea and everybody's like what and we're like we're gonna start a band and everybody's like that's an amazing idea because again like those guys are all big rock stars and i've got an international profile myself and you know they're like everybody's like that's an amazing idea and we're like we're, no, 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 you don't get it. It, it, it. It's really funny. We're going to call it The Canoes. And everybody's like, that's an amazing name for a band. And we're like, no, 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 you don't understand. We're going to sing in like four-part harmony and like and, and, and wear like jackets with crests on them. It, and everybody's like, that sounds fantastic. And six months later, we were on like Norwegian national television in the semifinals of, um, of like the you know, Eurovision songwriting contest, like on TV in front of millions of people in our jackets with crests, like singing in four part harmony. <laughs> that is awesome. See what a little raw trout will do for you. That's awesome. I That's know, amazing. I, well, we, 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 we did cook them. We, oh, okay. Oh, good. <laughs> you got butter and some salt and pepper. And you got, I gotta, I gotta make sure I, I, I emphasize that in the story next time. But yeah, we have a record coming out. We have, we have, we have, um, we have one record out now. It's called Booze and Canoes. And there's like a deluxe um, version of it out. Um, uh, it came out like a couple months ago. Um, you know, we like re-released it with um, some really good bonus tracks. And then um, we have a record in the can called Magnetic North that's coming out um, later on in uh, 2022. Wow. Wait, can we back up, though, for a moment? We're talking to Chris Barron this morning. He's going to be here in Madison on the 24th at Funk's Pub for a really cool event. But when you talked about losing your voice, was it? did you really lose your voice for a year? Is that true? 
I lost my voice for a year, actually twice. Um, oh my once God. In, once in the early 2000s or like right around, yeah, like 2000, 2001. And um, I had a paralyzed vocal cord. So could you not even speak? And like you had no voice? I could only whisper. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. Yeah, yeah, it was really, really, I mean, you know, as a singer, it was really bad. And um, and it actually happened to me again in 2015. And the chances of it happening like to somebody twice, it's not like a, it's not like a recurring condition, you know? It's like, it's like breaking your arm or something like that. You don't, you know, once you break your arm, you could break it again, but it's not like you're just inclined to break your arm again. Right, right, right. Well, what was it? I mean, why did that happen twice? It just did. Well, you know, like one of the doctors said, it's um, it was idiopathic, which is like a medical term for like, we don't know <laughs> what happened, you know? Um, he's like, that's that's what we say when we're, when we're, you know, when we, like, we don't really know anything. We know more than you, but not everything. Right. And that's <laughs> like, um, so yeah, they don't know why it happened. It's, you know, neurological. I think it was emotional too. I was going through a really hard time um, at the time. I was sort of in this like, you know, kind of career uh, low and the band had broken up and um, I was having, um, I was having a kid uh, with a woman that I didn't really know. And, um, it turns out, you know, my kid is freaking awesome. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, my kid's amazing. Um, but at the time I was really scared, you know, cause it was just, the whole thing was just like beginning. And I was like, God, am I going to be the worst dad ever? And I'm going to be able to like provide for this poor kid. And now I've lost my voice and like, what is happening? And, and so, yeah, I, am um, uh, a year went by and, um, you know, and it came back. Which is, you know, it's kind of like a Bell's palsy, medically speaking. Uh, some of your listeners might be familiar with a condition called Bell's palsy, sure. which is like yeah. a paralysis of of the face. But I got like a Bell's palsy of the voice. So then, like randomly, you know, um, uh, you know, in in twenty fifteen, it happened again. And um, I mean, that's really, really rare. My my doctor was like at a convention around that time when he was treating me, and he was with a bunch, like 50, like really senior doctors who, who like paralyzed vocal cords, that's their thing. And some of these, some of these doctors have been doing it for decades, you know? And he was like, Hey, I got, I got a patient who's having this for a second time. Anybody that ever happened to anybody? Cause he'd never heard of it happening. And out of like 50 doctors, two of them were like, yeah, I've seen it happen. So it's really, really rare. And again, you know, I was going through a bunch of stressful stuff. And, you know, when, when I'm stressed, it always hits me. It always hits me in the throat. If I get sick, I get a sore throat. If I am upset, you know, it, it always hits me in the throat, which is funny because honestly, like throughout my career, apart from these two vocal paralyses, like my voice has been a mule. I mean, it's just been like, like I've been able to, you know, the spin doctors are an incredibly loud band. And, um, and I think I've never met a singer who disagreed that singing for the spin doctors is one of the hardest imaginable vocal 
um, gigs because the, the material is, is quite high in, in my range. And I take voice lessons. Like I've been taking voice lessons with the same guy for, for a really long time. So, you know, I don't, I don't have like a temperamental voice. You know what I mean? My voice isn't uh, my voice. I don't, I don't lose my voice. I don't cancel gigs apart from these two, like really catastrophic events. Um, that sounds really stupid. Apart from these two catastrophic events, everything's been great. <laughs> um, but, I, I know what you're saying, though. We we got. It's not like you're carrying around lemon juice with you because your voice goes out all the time. No, it never goes out. Except when it goes out, it goes out <laughs> twice for a year. You know. Wow. Um, but yeah, so so um, the funny thing is, and I probably shouldn't even be saying this. Maybe I don't know. Um, it's sort of a miracle, and it's sort of weird, but. Finally, like I was singing again, I did a spin doctor show, I did a solo show, went back into my doctor, um, and they do this thing where they scope your vocal cords, it's pretty gross, they stick a camera up your nose, mm-hmm. and then like, you know, it, it the camera bends, and it's on a, like a gooseneck kind of thing, and then they point it down from your sinuses at your vocal cords from above, so it's really not fun. It's like, try like, it's like a COVID test times 50 you know or a colonoscopy and, um, of the face it sounds yeah, like the one thank you i'm <laughs> feeling that i'm not going to give you credit that's all right thank you colonoscopy of the face you better go that's type exactly that type that down right now on your oh, typewriter i have a i have a i have like a i got a memory for turns of phrases i don't know okay why. Um, <laughs> um but uh yeah so so um and my uncle used to say, I'm going to write that down on an ice cube. <laughs> but I'm not going to write that down on an ice cube. Anyway, so they uh, checked it. And my the doctor's like, oh. And I'm like, what do you mean, oh? He's like, well, your vocal cord is still largely immobile. I was like, what? He's like, it's not paralyzed anymore, but it's really like, it's not really moving um, laterally. Like, it's moving vertically which means i have my range and it stretches out so that so that i can like hit high notes but it's not really moving from side to side and i was like well then how am i phonating you know how am i producing noise sound you know with my throat because i'd like to think it's sound not noise that i produce with my throat um and um he's like you seem to have learned how to use the muscles on the outside of the immobile vocal cord to brace it against the mobile vocal cord. And you're able, and I was like, what? And he's like, basically you've learned to sing with one vocal cord. And I was like, you're what the hell? And he's like, I've never seen anything like it. Cause he, he was at, he was at the spin doctor show that I did and the solo show. No, he wasn't at the solo show, but he was at the spin. I mean, I'm singing like on a really high level. You know what I mean? It's like, it's no joke singing for the spin doctors. It's like, you know, it's like Robert Plant's gig, you know, like you're just singing over a super loud band really loudly. And, um, you know, it's a Herculean task from the scene. He's like, I, I don't understand how you're doing it. You're, you're basically a medical miracle. So basically like, you know, I, I sing, um, I, I haven't had it scoped in a long time. So it might've like come, come, I might've gained more mobility, but basically folks, I'm a medical miracle. I'm a one chord wonder. I love it. I love it. Do you really practice? Do you really just go out there in New York and just busk still? Is that true? I do. I don't busk 
really for money. I, I put out like a hat or a guitar case or something like that, because if I don't, people will stop me from playing to give me money. (laughs) 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 So it's like just distracting. You know, somebody will come up to me with a dollar and be like, you know, hey, here, have a dollar, have a dollar. I have to stop playing and thank them. And not that I'd mind thanking them and everything like that, but I just want to keep playing. But so so you're doing it more just to kind of see what the reaction is. Uh, Like, why why do you do it? I call it the green eggs and ham, uh, Treatment. I like to give a song the green eggs and ham treatment. Like, like, did you play it on a plane? Did you play it on a train? Did you play it on a bus? You know, um, did you play it for your cat Gus? Like, I right. just like to, I just like to, you know, and I also, I, I like practicing in front of people. I'm actually like, a lot of your listeners might not know, I'm, I'm the singer of the band Spin Doctors, but I'm a pretty accomplished guitar player. I've been playing guitar since I was eight. And I don't play guitar with the spin doctors because um because it's fun to it's fun to just be I call it being like an open handed front man. It's fun to be like Mick Jagger just up there, no guitar, nothing to worry about except singing. Because I've also been singing since I was a kid. And I you know, I was in like choirs and stuff as a kid. Like I'm a you know I don't know if I'm a virtuoso singer, but I'm a you know, I'm a really I'm up there, you know, I'm a pretty accomplished I'm a very accomplished singer. And um, if you're, you know, can I say that? Do I sound like a, like a douche when I say that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, not too douchey. I think, well, I mean, I, I think it's okay that you're proud of what you do. There's nothing wrong well, with that. I, I work really hard on it. Like I said, I take, I take voice lessons. Like um, I take voice lessons and um, uh, I, um, you know, I've had the same, I've had the same um, teacher since 1989. You know, right. I study, the guy I study with is an opera guy. So it's right. Like, you take your craft seriously, and I, I, we know we totally get it. But so let me ask you this. When you are out there singing, do people realize it's you or not necessarily? Or they just think it's somebody who looks like Chris Barron, or it's just they think it's just some dude out there doing some good tunes who's got great pipes? Um, it's New York City, so people, um, like, blow me off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, they don't blow me off, but they're like, they're like, um, you know, they just walk right by. Right. I mean, it's exactly. It's New York City. There's always there's something going on on the next block. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people like smile and just keep walking, and then yeah, and then somebody will just be like, somebody will just walk by and like, you know, just go all like Popeye and and like point at me and be like, what the hell? <laughs> and, uh, you know. And it's New York City, too, so I, you know, I see people that I know, you know, particularly, like, musicians, and we'll stop and, like, just have a chat, and, you know, they'll wait until I'm done playing or whatever, and be like, what the fuck are you doing? We're not live, don't worry, no, we... We can... Okay, okay. (laughs) Yeah, no. They'll be like, what the flagnar are you, you know, down here on the subway, and, and, uh, but a lot of people in, a lot of my buddies in New York, my friends in New York know that I do, like, I don't do it all the time I, i'm like kind of a, a like I, I i do stuff kind of in streaks you know what i mean i'll i'll just go through a period of time I'll, like for a month where i'm just like oh, i'm gonna go play on the subway i'll wake up in the morning and be like i want to play on the subway but lately the last couple of years more than doing that i've been um actually just going out taking like a, a chair out in front of my building in new york city and just sitting on my block and um, 
and playing, which has been really nice because, you know, uh, New York has this reputation for being like, you know, kind of a rough town. And it is, but there's also this really kind of lovely kind of town sort of feeling. And um, so over the last couple of years, everybody on my block, like, knows who I am now because I'm the guy who plays guitar. And, and a lot of them, most of them don't know that I'm the guy from the Spin Doctors. You know, a few of them do. But, but like, a lot of people on the block just think I'm... They, I, think they, I think they figure I'm a professional musician because, cause, right. you know... Because you I don't play. suck. Right. Are yeah, you in yeah, Brooklyn? Yeah. Where are you? I live in Manhattan. I live You're on in Manhattan. the west side of Manhattan. Okay, gotcha. Okay, cool. Wow. Yeah, New York is very neighborhoody. It's actually more small towny than most small towns in a weird way. Just a bunch of small towns sliced together. Yeah, I know all the homeless guys in in my neighborhood, and I know like, uh, you know, I know like kind of my block is like your bodega that you go to every time they know you, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The people in the bodega, like I know all of them, and you know, my block is sort of. Let's just say that my block has a certain kind of hierarchy. Um. My block is organized, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so when you come you know, here to Madison... So wait, wait. Okay. I, with yeah. that, where do you fall in the hierarchy of your block? Are you like big guy on the block or not? No, I'm just some... Oh, no, I'm I'm not even in it. Like, <laughs> okay. I, He's the jester. I mean? I'm, yeah, I, I'm like... I'm, the, I'm that dude who plays guitar that they like. <laughs> okay. Mm. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, you know... No, I'm just some dude. <laughs> That's awesome. So when you come here, it's a songwriting situation. Are you going to... Um, well, it's called a songwriter showcase, not right. a songwriting situation. I don't know. Either one works. But <laughs> are, are you going to have a chance to really talk with aspiring songwriters and give them advice? I mean, what's your plan when you come here? Do you know your plan? I have no idea. Awesome. I, never, I don't usually know these things. Because Perfect. I'm, I'm I'm very detail oriented about other things, but you know, when it comes to like people are like, so where are you playing? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but we know you're not bringing your typewriter. Yeah, we do know that much. And I'm bringing my typewriter. Yeah, see that's that that I know. I know what I'm bringing. You know, I'm bringing like actually I, I travel with some really funny stuff. I'm bringing like a like a kettle for tea and my own tea and um um. Like I, I like to drink this like funky Chinese tea, and I a long time ago I realized I used to travel really light, and then we started flying everywhere, and I was like, screw that! I'm just going to bring anything that I think would make me comfortable. So I'm not I'm not like traveling with like four huge suitcases or anything like that, but like I have you know people a lot of people I work with only want to bring carry on luggage, you know. And you're I, you're loading up the thing. You got the the sky cap putting it all in, right? I check a bag. If my back is kind of janky, I got this like gigantic massager called the thumper that I bring with me, and like I'm just like I don't care, man. I'm I'll bring anything I think is gonna. I used to travel with a stuffed rabbit. Uh, I don't know if we want to ask a follow up question. I guess we do. Why? How big was it? Uh, he he was he was my manager for a while. Uh-huh. He's not that big. Not that big. He's like one of those. Um, what are those? What What are those called? Here he is, right here. He sits on my piano now. He's a jelly cat. Some of your listeners' kids might have. Mm-hmm. I bought him. My daughter's nickname is is the rabbit, and um, I bought him. <laughs> I 
time for her um, at JFK. And, like, um, we had this long kind of um, dark weekend where we got stuck in Ottawa. And it was snowing and snowing and snowing. And, like, I just was sort of hanging with this. Uh, I couldn't bring myself to stuff. I, I, I call him Bunny. Couldn't bring myself to stuff Bunny into, like, a bag. So I was, like, sort of carrying him around all weekend. And then I started taking pictures of the two of us, um, like, in the hotel. And, like, um, I brought him home, and I was really attached to him. And my daughter was, like, the next time I went on the road, she was like, I think you need Bunny more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> and you still have Bunny to this day. Yeah, yeah. So I traveled with Bunny for a long And I, that, and then I was like, I basically decided that Bunny was my manager. And um, people would be like, what's up with the Bunny? And I'd be like, oh, Bunny's my manager. <laughs> and they'd be like, your manager's a Bunny? And I'd be like, yeah. And I'd hold Bunny up like face to face with them. And I'd be like, Ask Bunny how much it costs for Chris Barron to play your place. Right. See, then you could be more outrageous, and it's the bunny <laughs> doing it. Yeah, they were like, they'd look at the bunny. I'd be like, don't look at me. Look at the bunny. Look in, look in his eyes and, um, and ask him how much to hire Chris Barron. And they'd like kind of scoffingly like look over at him and be like, how much for Chris Barron? And then you could see like a chill kind of go through them. And, and, and they'd be like looking at Bunny, and Bunny would be looking back at them. And they'd be like, "Whoa, he's really hard to negotiate with." <laughs> mm-hmm, that's good. Like, yeah, Bunny. Bunny never cracks. That was my motto about Bunny. Bunny, Bunny never, never cracks. cracks, and doesn't take twenty percent either. No. Yeah, I mean, Bunny works for free. It's a great relationship. Yeah. Okay, well, we got to hang up in a minute, and I shouldn't ask this question now because it's going to turn into thirty more minutes. <laughs> but I saw in an article there was just like a line of, "Oh yeah," and. Chris has the story of the time he was at Keith Richards' birthday party. Is that is that did that really happen? Yeah, you want me to? I'll, I'll bang through that one. I won't. I won't yeah, okay. Because I kind of want to hear it. It is going to be awesome. So um, the Spin Doctors opened up for the Rolling Stones, and that's a whole story unto itself. And it was really like a clinic. I mean, I learned a lot just watching those guys every night. And um, one of the guys from. The Black Crows, um, I ran into him in L.A. beforehand, and he was like, oh, you're opening up for the Stones? Here's the deal. It was the Voodoo Lounge tour. So the backstage area was called the Voodoo Lounge. And he was like, when you get to the Voodoo Lounge, find the snooker table. And every night before the show, um, Keith and Ronnie, Keith Richards and Ron Wood. Um, yeah, we got it. Yeah, yeah. snooker. Guys, I'm just making sure, you know, some of your, <laughs> some of your uh, listeners might. They might not. Okay. You know, need, need a little bit of clarification. So um, they are the guitar players of the Rolling Stones. So, <laughs> like, I get back. The whole story of getting back there was is a great story, too. But that's for another. That's the next time you guys have me on. Right. Okay. And, uh, tomorrow. And, um, <laughs> and so they, um, you know, I get there and I'm sort of like, it's the whole thing is decorated like a like an old like New Orleans bordello and I'm standing by this lamp with a bunch of tassels kind of in the shadows and you know Ronnie and Keith come out sure enough and I'm like you know I can't believe I'm seeing these two guys like in the flesh and um and Ronnie looks over Ronnie's like this super lovely convivial hilarious man and he looks over and he's like oh oh uh, mate uh and I'm like Chris is it Chris spin doctors and I'm like yeah and he's like Keith 
Keith, look, it's Chris from the Spin Doctors. And Keith looks up and he, you know, like grins, like the most charismatic grin I've ever seen, except for Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> and, um, and he's like, hey, mate. And, um, and like Ronnie's like, Chris, mate, would you like a drink? And I'm like, well, um, the guy's cutting back to, um, to LA with the black crow guys. They were like, if they offer you a drink, which they will ask for a Guinness, they don't drink Guinness, but for some reason they love people who drink Guinness. So I was like, well, um, a Guinness would be nice. And he goes, Keith, Keith, Chris wants a Guinness. And Keith like lights up and the two of them like grab me and they take me back to this little room, you know, like the, the whole backstage area at, at a, at like, you know, a big, the concert, you know, of like a band like the Stones, it's like it's like these sanctums within sanctums, you know, and you could be like, you know, it's a whole stadium. So you'd be back, you could be theoretically like backstage, but you're just in the stadium. The next thing is like you're in the Voodoo Lounge, but then within the Voodoo Lounge, there's the tuning room, and they take me back into the tuning room where I never saw anything tuned except maybe a vodka and orange, and um, but they had like. You know, I mean, they had like $10 million worth of old guitars and amplifiers back there. It looked like a museum, like just guitars and guitars and guitars, and amps and amps and amps. And I'm a, you know, vintage guitar freak, so I'm just gawking around. So after that, like every night, they were like just inviting me back there. And I mean, at some point, I'm like just sitting on the floor looking up at Keith Richards going like, God, you guys are just having a really good time. And he goes, why else would you do it, man? And I know, like, I'm like, dude, you're making, like, $200 million on this tour. That might be why you would do it. But I'm looking at him, and I'm like, I'm just like, no, this dude is doing it because he likes it. You know, mm-hmm. doing it, like, yeah, he's making a lot of money at it, but he's, he, this, the, his main reason for doing it is because he likes it. And he's having a good time. And I just, I'm 27 years old, sitting on the floor, I look up at him, and I just want to, like, testify. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And Keith Richards is standing there, like, remember, I'm sitting on the floor, he's standing over me, holds forth his hand, the Pope of rock and roll. And he's like, you will, man, you will. And I'm like, wow, well, I got that going for me. Um, (laughs) So, like... Total consciousness on your deathbed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So a little bit later, a little bit later, um, uh, I'm at, like, a party for him at the... um, uh, at the Four Seasons in, in Vancouver. And, you know, it's like this rock and roll who's who. And I'm just like wandering around again. I'm like only 27 years old. You know, I'm just like, what is going on here? This is amazing. And, it, and boom, once again, like Ron Wood, just like he's wearing, <laughs> he's wearing like, you know, like those, those like yellow, like Gordon's Fisherman kind of like, um, like bad weather, plastic, you know, rain hats that fishermen wear. Yeah. <laughs> He's wearing like a yellow, big yellow rain hat. But it looks cool on him somehow. Oh, it looks amazing on him, but it also looks extremely silly. Like it, 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 don't get me wrong. It looks really silly. And he comes up to me, he grabs me by the shoulders. He's like, Chris, mate, how you going? And I'm like, Oh man, I'm great. This is great. It's been so cool watching you guys. I've just been getting so much out of it. And he goes, Oh, you've seen the band. And I was like, yeah, you guys are the Rolling Stones. <laughs> I've been to like every show that we, every show that we didn't drive. I've been like, you know, coming and watching you guys like a hawk. I guess I've been to like 10 shows. 
And he goes, you've seen the band 10 times. And I was like, yeah. And he like, he is standing behind him and he, he like reaches behind him and it's like, Keith, Keith, Keith is talking to some supermodel. Like, <laughs> he's like, yeah. And, and Ron's like, Chris has seen the band 10 times. And Keith goes, you've seen the band 10 times. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, oh, oh, man. And then Ronnie's like, hey, Chris, have you had a chat with Mick? And I'm like, well, I met Mick, you know, but I haven't had a chat with him per se. You know, and he's like, oh, you must come out and chat with Mick. So he's still got me by the shoulders. And he brings me over. He's like, Mick, this is Chris and the Spin Doctors. And Mick goes, I know. And my brain explodes. Right. Like, <laughs> wow. Jagger, like, has any clue of who I am. And he goes, um, Chris has seen the band 10 times. And Mick goes, you've seen the band 10 times. <laughs> and that was, uh, those guys um, are really, really nice dudes. You'd think they'd be like really arrogant and stuff like that, but they are, they are, uh, you know, without going a half an hour into this, I'm going to just like give you the, 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 <laughs> to Mick Jagger epilogue. So we did so well on the tour, we got invited down to Brazil. And to do like, a, you know, we got our, our like, you know, tenure got extended and they invited mm. us down to Brazil, which is, you know, like I think one of the greatest accolades, like it's, I've been on the cover of Rolling Stone and I've been nominated for a Grammy, but like the stones being like, yeah, guys, why don't you come for another leg? Like that's quite the endorsement right? musically. And, um, and so we're down there and those guys are great. They do like, um, they do stuff. They acknowledge like every kind of holiday and occasion and stuff like that. So they had like a Super Bowl party and we're in like Brazil. They had this TV that was like, you know, a pretty big TV by today's standards, but by like 1995 standards, I, I didn't know there were TVs that big, you know, mm -hmm. just gigantic TV. And they had some like couches and chairs and stuff set up in front of it. So my brother came on this tour because my brother and I are total nerds and like we're sort of geography freaks. And um, when we were little, we agreed that anytime like one of us visited a new continent, um, we would bring the other one. So I brought him when we went to Africa, I brought him and we're in South America. And so I brought him down to South America, another continent. And um, so, but he didn't have like the right credential. Remember we're talking sanctums within sanctums. So he didn't have quite the right credential to be at this party, but I brought him into the party and I was like, dude, you gotta be cool because you know, I could get in trouble. Um, Wait, if we digress for a moment, what does your brother do for a living? My brother's a mathematician. Okay. <laughs> All right, so he fit right into the, you know, it, yeah. Okay, go on, go on. Uh, but he's, he's, my brother's like a hat cat. My brother, my brother like knows, my brother plays like mandolin and sings in a very lovely tenor voice and knows every like Hank Williams song and George Jones song ever. And he's, he's, uh, he's, he's a cool guy. He's, um, he's an incredibly, incredibly. Annoying. Okay, well, tell us what happened, so. So I'm like, dude, you got to be cool, right? So Jeremy sits down, and there are, um, there are these like three very, very lovely Brazilian women sitting on the couch. So my brother sits at like this like chair that's like you know catty corner to the couch, and um, and and starts chatting them up because um, he's got a lot of game for a uh, for a mathematician, mm -hmm. and um, Mick 
walks in the room, clocks these three women on the couch and just comes, makes a beeline for them and leans over and is like talking to them. And like his butt is right in my brother's face, like six inches from my brother's face. It's like Mick Jagger's ass. And, um, Jeremy's like, doesn't know what to do. Right. Cause he doesn't want to be like, dude, can you get your ass out of my face? And he doesn't even have room to like, he doesn't even have room to get out of the chair. And he's sort of paralyzed because he's like, I don't want to like, create a ruckus and have like Mick Jagger be like, where's your pass? Or, you know, you didn't know what was going to happen. So he's just sort of paralyzed and Mick turns around and, um, with this big grin on his face to my brother and he goes, is my bum in your face? <laughs> and my brother's like, uh, yeah. And Mick's like, Oh, and he just turns back and like leaves his ass in my brother's face and just keeps talking to this Brazilian woman. <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh my God! That's the way it goes. That is awesome. Well, hopefully you'll potentially share some of these stories uh, when you come here to Madison. We're- yeah, I'm really looking forward to doing the gig. It's you know it's a great it's a great cause like helping out entertainers who've been hit really hard by um, you know by the by COVID and by um, all of the like shutdowns and stuff like that. And you know like I um. Uh, sorry to go on and on and on, but but, but one more thing, you know, like you look at a guy like me and um, I've had a couple of hit songs and I've been, you know, playing for my entire life. And, you know, I, um, I've had a lot of luck in this business and I've sold like 10 million records and, and two princes have been played on the radio 8 million times and little miss can't be wrong. Another 5 million times, but who's counting. But anyway, yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I want to tell your listeners, like, I drive a Subaru and I live in a two-bedroom apartment. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There's a, a lot of that money. A lot of that money doesn't, you know, this is a very exploitive business. And a lot of the big bucks get siphoned off into, like, corporations that, you know, Sony Music. And, you know, just like, it's not like it's. We're not, I don't, I don't have like a fountain and a great big house and, a, and like five Maseratis and 14 Bugattis, you know, like I, I'm, I'm a middle class, I'm comfortably well off and I'm, and I'm a, extremely fortunate because I will probably for this foreseeable future, future be like a professional musician for the rest of my life. And I wake up in the morning and I'm either like, you know, making myself some strong coffee and playing guitar or I'm headed to a gig. And so my life is great. I'm not complaining or anything like that, but what I want to tell your listeners is that, you know, I'm in the kind of the upper echelon of, of all this. And I lead like sort of a middle-class life. And, um, so there's a, there's a whole, most musicians are really like in the, in the middle class or struggling, you know, to, 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 to be in the middle class. So, um, you know, this is a great opportunity for people to come out and kind of, you know, show their support. What would our lives be without music? You know, it's like when you, when you talk to somebody falling in love, you know, what do they talk about? Well, the first song that you dance together, you know, music is intrinsic to our lives and the people who make it um, really work hard to do it. And, um, you know, this is the United States, you know, one of our main values is you work hard you know, you get paid well. And, um, so this is an opportunity if you, you know, if music has ever meant something to you and, you know, this is an opportunity for us all to kind of rally around, you know, the makers of music and the people who bring so much like gladness and joy and, and lock, lock our memories in place, 
you know, with this amazing miracle that is music. And, um, you know, and don't, and don't get, um, you know, financially compensated as much as, um, you know, let's just say commensurately with the joy that they bring, um, you know, the, the general population. So come on out. And I, I promise you, like, I'm going to sing my guts out and play some nice nifty guitar for you. And, um, and I hope to see you there. I hope to get a chance to, uh, say hello. Awesome. Chris, a real pleasure to talk to you. The stories are fantastic. And, uh, maybe you'll come back with the canoes. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. All yeah. right, man. Take care, bud. Take care. Thank you for having me. All yeah. right. Bye. 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 We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.